Hello and welcome back to the RevOps Show. These Friday recordings are getting wild. Today there's music, a lot of laughs, and a great story about Doug and debate, and more that you'll have to listen to. Yes, I promise, they all connect to the topic, which is all about efficiency in RevOps. Jess and Doug are also going to get into a little bit of what we use here at Imagine called Red Work and Blue Work, but know that it's surface level and that another episode is coming that'll dive deeper into the concept. So if you're excited for it, let us know you're listening and let us know how much you're excited for it. Share the episode, start up a conversation, do what you got to do. We'd love to see how excited you are for that next episode. So with that, let's get ready to have a great time and let's get started. Jess, we're back to recording on Friday, Friday afternoon. We are. It's your favorite day. It's your favorite day to record. Friday, Friday afternoon of a holiday weekend. Yep. I'm Beauty looking plans. forward to a long weekend. A um, couple barbecues, hopefully a lot of sleep. A couple barbecues? A <laughs> couple barbecues. Holy cow, that's a lot of barbecue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? Um, depending upon whether we might have a barbecue... I plan on making a nice indentation in my couch. Then <laughs> got a couple of things I'm hoping to clean up on on Monday when you can do work work. You can do work. Yeah, I might. Um, I might not. Right. I mean, how many times I do I? I know how this goes. goes. <laughs> so, um, you know, Jess, I think we got a fun episode today. But but before so. we go there, I got a light motif for you, and I want to see if you can pick it up. You ready? You hear it? Yeah. Do you know what song it is? I don't know that this is going to be awful. I don't remember the name of the song and I don't know the lyrics that well, but I know the song. Mr. Blue Sky from ELO. Mm. Mr. Blue Sky. That is, I, so I know the like, motif now. <laughs> See, and you were asking, how are you going to introduce the topic? You didn't know. I couldn't tell you that I had it all planned out. No, you couldn't tell me. It's gonna become it, it's gonna become our new thing. We're gonna see if the world of music has actually adopted the appropriate worldview today, realizing that while technically I'm sure I'm violating some copyright element, <laughs> this can only be good for ELO because I'm sure most of our listeners weren't thinking about that song and they are now going, Hey, I should go on Spotify and listen to it. Yeah, it's a great song. Probably. Probably. Alrighty. So what are we talking about today, Jess? So you had brought up a thought that I, that I thought was interesting, which is. Oh, you just saying you're just saying that. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. Jess, People that hurt. Are, I'm not going to lie. That hurts. Oh, it's, it's, it's late on a, on a Friday. You, you know what? This podcast is what, what is between me and the weekend. So a little punchy. Little punchy. Oh no, you got another meeting. That that meeting got taken care of already. <laughs> so I'm done. Oh wow. Yeah, we wow. did it early. We did it early. So what you brought up is that that 
people are are messing up RevOps because they're always looking at things through the lens of efficiency. Did I say they're messing up RevOps? No, you said you said a more derogatory term. <laughs> yeah, probably said they're effing up. So so it's yes. interesting because you can f something up without messing it up. Okay, so they're effing up RevOps. Yeah. So so I, what what I'm saying is so let, let let me get out of the way that that probably my certainly top five terms that I just despise is game change because too often people say this is a game changer yet they're still playing the same game. So I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out how, how that applies. So, so realizing that, that revenue operations is not a game changer. It has the opportunity to, to be what I kind of refer to as a game accelerator, mm -hmm. um, even to move to the place of, of being in an advantage. And, and it's certainly getting, you know, I, I don't think RevOps is at its peak um, hype cycle. Um, I think it's definitely more than halfway up the peak. I think it's probably two thirds, probably right about two thirds up its peak hype cycle to the peak of hype cycle. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, the, the problem, uh, who is it? Clayton Christensen. I think it was, it was Clayton Christensen. I'm trying to remember the exact quote. The, the quote is to the extent of in business, um, the new game emerges before the old game ends. Mm -hmm. Um, Daniel yep. Pink talks about the difference in, you know, things being different in kind versus different in degree. And, and so too often a discipline, a finding comes along. I saw this with inbound marketing. I've seen it with just about every, anything that's a, you know, that, that, that's been the thought of the day emerged with a group of people that started doing something differently, mm -hmm. started getting great results. Then a bunch of, well, people like us, Jess, who sell services and consulting took, you know, like branding is my favorite on this. You know, how, how do we take an end, turn it into a means, make it really complicated and charge a whole bunch of money for it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so what happens is, you know, that you, you get the bandwagon effect and people jump on without understanding or committing to what, what the real, what the real change is, right? And so if you take, you know, what, what, what's the old phrase? Management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, doing the right things is, you know, have we framed this up correctly? Is it framed? Are we using the right model? If you take the right actions and, and use them in an old frame, then you're not really going to get you're not going to get the juice for the squeeze. You, you will, you will probably get some juice for the squeeze initially. Uh, and we might in this episode, get into some of the reason for that, but, but it won't sustain. And, and in many ways, what you end up doing, you know, it's kind of like fad dieting. If you fad diet, yes, you lose weight right away. You inevitably gain it back and you also make, make your body more resistant. So everything becomes harder in the future. And the paradigm that I see that that far too many organizations are still committed to, hopefully people are still listening to that winding path to our focus today, is it's still being thrown and viewed, and you know, far too often the the triggering issue is efficiency, and and so we're taking RevOps and and applying it to an efficiency framework. And, and viewing it as, and, and really viewing the problem in so many ways as, as, mm -hmm. as efficiency. And, and, and if you take RevOps 
and you apply mm -hmm. it with an efficiency mindset, with an efficiency mindset, um, you may get incremental improvement. You, you, you probably will get incremental improvement, but you'll also be reinforcing some of what I am increasingly convinced. I've actually thought this for a few years and I'm only now really getting the confidence to say it out loud and say it out loud in public, which is a, a large part of the underlying trap that people find themselves in today is, is it's the efficiency trap. It's this addiction obsession with efficiency. Um, I actually, it's interesting because I, this is actually the first time I use the term efficiency trap. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I used to talk, you know, when, when, when imagine started, gosh, almost 20 years ago, I talked about the commoditization trap. Yeah. And, and the point of the commoditization trap, the reason it was a trap is all of the things that companies are doing to establish differentiation value, et cetera, all the things that are doing to get out of commoditization are actually thrusting them further and further into commoditization. While, while technically I would say this is wrong, I said, you know, companies are commoditizing themselves, though in actuality, it's the customer that commoditizes you, but that's a story for another episode. Um, what I'm seeing is that, you know, the, the problems that companies are, you know, why they're trying to change, why they're, you know, why you see so many attempts at transformation, so many new approaches being brought. Again, it, it, it's an efficiency trap. You end up continuing to keep that efficiency mindset, which puts you more into the efficiency trap, which makes it harder for you to get out of the place where you're stuck. And, and how does focusing on efficiency make you stuck? Like, like how does, why, why is that, why is that a bad thing to be focused on efficiency? Well, let me, let, let, let me share one thought to frame this okay. up and then I'll come into it. So I, so I think the 20th century and I think the, the, the industrial revolution was, was all about efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, yep. and, and, and by the way, I would say in the 20th century, the companies that achieved peak efficiency probably did the best. The, I think the 21st century, and, and, by, and by the way, if you think about efficiency, boy, we're going to get really, I had no idea we were going to go here. We are going to, we are going to nerd out on this in this episode. <laughs> Why was efficiency so important in the 20th century? Well, it comes down to what was the limiting, well, what were the limiting factors? Well, well, in the 20th century, supply was a limiting factor. Mm -hmm. um, capital was the limiting factor. Um, and, and cost of distribution. So if you really get down to the core of, for, you know, from a revenue standpoint, from a sales marketing perspective, cost of distribution and cost of capital. Um, we've gone from a kinesthetic economy base, things, physical manifestation, where services grew around things to we're now, we're now a digital, I mean, we are, we are a digital economy. Um, which we, and, and further, we are a networked economy, um, flow of information on all the things that we're dealing with. So, so those aspects where efficiency addressed your key bottlenecks, efficiency doesn't address that because, mm -hmm. you know, like if it costs me a lot to distribute my message and, and look, I go back to the days where, where a newsletter, like I was at a company where we put together a newsletter and the newsletter was literally a newsletter. It was on paper. We had to have it printed. We had to mail it. So there was a lag in, in, 
in getting it to somebody, there was a direct hard cost. And, and by the way, anytime we wanted to add somebody to our newsletter distribution list, we had an incremental cost. Now, some people might say the cost wasn't that much. Um, I think a lot of them would be surprised what the actual cost was, but there was still like a real actual true cost. You know, adding somebody to my email distribution is, you know, you know, part of the problem is there's no cost. So, and, 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 and so, so if you think about that limiting factor, the return on efficiency mm -hmm. is, is totally different. Yeah. Right? The, the other thing, because we're a networked economy and, you know, the, the, the key bottlenecks have changed and what's needed to succeed have changed, um, which I'm going to get to. And so, so I think the 21st century mm -hmm. is about adaptability and resilience. I think that's what the story of, of this century or at least this period is going to be. Um, but even, even in the 20th century, uh, manufacturer, manufacturers learned this lesson in a big, big way in the 1980s, um, is efficiency hits a point of diminishing returns. And, and I would actually add to it, not only does it get to a point of diminishing returns, it gets to a point of negative returns. And so the reason that, like, so I'm not saying that focusing on efficiency is bad inherently. Mm -hmm. Um, what I'm saying is efficiency is not, is increasingly not going to be the reason that you're successful. Um, and, and we've actually seen an example of, of where the most successful effort at efficiency and optimization, yep. um, occurred, which is, you know, if we think about supply chain in 2019, it, it, it was a wonder of the world. It, it was, I mean, if, if you take the biggest supply chain thinkers, the most forward thinkers of, of supply chain from the 1990s. I, I don't think they could have dreamt or, or like in their fantasy vision, the, the supply chain that existed in 2019 would have been like, Oh my God, yes, that is it. And, and, and if you take a look at, I mean, so much of the problem that, that, that exists today is, what we, what we learned is, Hey, all of a sudden there was a shift in environment. Mm -hmm. And what we found was our supply chains were incredibly efficient. They were incredibly robust and they were incredibly rigid. They did not, they could not adapt. Yeah. They did not have resilience. And so now, you know, literally people are rethinking everything about supply chain it's now gee is it a good idea to offshore is it a good i mean they're, they're even <laughs> beginning to question outsourcing and i don't think that's going to get to the point of, of right. seriousness but i do think how outsourcing is managed is different um, yeah you know we've gone from slack being bad eliminate all slack to all of a sudden wait you know how much supply do you have within one day of you know all, all, <laughs> all of a sudden all these questions have, have come it's going to be triggering um, for me. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, you know, and that, that is, um, I mean, I mean, think about it just, we, you know, in, in, in April of 2020, you, you couldn't create, we didn't have enough cotton. Yeah, I know. We couldn't, we couldn't do something as simple. Like, I mean, we, you know, it's just, it's, you know, the, 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 the shortfalls that existed, um, you know, in April of 2020, people walked into, into large, grocery stores and there was no toilet paper i know <laughs> now, I, now I get 
right. Well, I, right, right, right now you walk into the grocery store, there's no, there's no baby formula. Right. Yeah. You know, and so there, you know, there's a great example of that, right? I mean, if you take, and, and what happened over dependence on one provider. Yep. Right. In one location. Yep. With, with, you know, highly, highly, highly specialized machines to do one specific thing. And, 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 and am I saying, no, we should go back to, to how we manufactured in 1973. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying efficiency doesn't matter, but, right. but, but I'm saying that that loss of adapt adaptability, we have become a network world where, where the rate of change and the rate of things that are happening is so fast that if you don't have, you know, if what, what, what I think is UPS had the tagline at the speed of business. Yeah, Which, you know, on one hand, it was a crappy tagline because what the hell does it mean? But 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 on the other hand, is actually you know, yes, that's um, yeah. things happen so fast. Like the the nature of troll. So so like efficiency is about centralization, mm -hmm. right? So so it's centralized decision making, centralized planning, distributed execution. Yes. Right. So, so I, you know, one, one, one of the things that a lot of, um, you know, marketing gurus love to say is never, never write copy by committee, never design by committee. Um, right. and, and, and I understand that what they're saying is, you know, you don't make decisions by consensus there. And, and I agree. I, I do say that a camel is a horse made by committee. But here's a question for you. How many horses do you see in the desert? <laughs> right. Camels are adaptable and resilient. Um, so, so there are, you know, I, I, I think what, I think what drove this Jess is, is that I finished a book last week called team of teams, um, yep. which is written by Stan, Stanley McChrystal, general Stanley McChrystal really about the transformation that St special operations task force went through. And, and then, you know, you know, that, that one of our, um, foundational books, um, for the imagine operating system is, you know, is David Mar Marquette's. The language of business, where he talks about red work, blue work. Isn't it leadership is language? Or leadership is language. What did I say? <laughs> you said language is business. I have no idea what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> it's Friday afternoon. It took me a minute to process that. Why why do you think there is such a focus on efficiency though and in, in, in RevOps? Why why do we why do we go there? Why is that why is that the place everybody focuses on? So so I I I'm I'm not saying that there's, I'm, I'm not saying that that's a RevOps mm -hmm. obsession. I'm saying that's a business obsession. Okay. So and, why is it such a business obsession? Well, I, I, I think for pro probably two reasons. One is that's the legacy playbook. Mm -hmm. yep. right? that, that's the game that we've been playing um, for 50 years, probably 50 years plus. Yeah. I think the other thing is that, you know, efficiency's got a, it's a lot like speed. It's easy to measure. Or it, maybe it's not easy to measure, but it's a lot easier to measure. Yep. It also feels right. Yeah, it does. Right. I mean, there, 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 there's a logic to it. There, there's, I mean, you know, everyone, you know, we talk about efficiency and effectiveness, right? Well, yep. I can measure efficiency and I can give you a formula for efficiency. Can you give me a formula for effectiveness? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, but it's not. It's not as precise, certainly not as precise as efficiency. Uh, you know, I, I also think that, you know, efficiency, you know, again, it, it makes sense and it feels good. You know, what shorten, um, shorten sales cycle times. 
what could be wrong with that? How, how could a shorter sales cycle time be worse than a, you know, time to response? How, how, how could that be bad? How, how could shortening that be bad? Um, so, so it, 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 it's kind of akin to, well, you know what it is? It, it's, we, we've, there's as data, this is actually probably going to be, um, you know, those, you know how those TV shows that, that have been on for some time there, you know, clearly the writers want to take a break and the actors want to take a break. So, you know, the 60 minute show, which is, you know, roughly 42 minutes after commercials really has three minutes of, of what was filmed. And it's all, you know, it's the flashback. Yeah. Um, yeah. Episode. So I think this is going to be kind of like a flashback episode. So we, you know, we talked about data, right. And as, as data has become this, uh, this shield, right. What, like what, what's the super hot thing in marketing and marketing automation right now is attribution, right. And why do we want attribution? So we can justify. Um, yep. And, 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 and by the way, what do we want the attribution to be? We want the, you know, how, how many times do we work on attribution for a client? And they're like, well, no, no, that's too complicated. We need it just to like be really simple. Um, right. <laughs> which, which again is an efficiency mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I think it's just, you know, that's when efficiency stops being the mindset. And, and, and again, don't get me wrong. If you become in ineff like inefficient is bad. Right. Okay. Like tracking and, and staying on top, like outside of like, it's, it, it, it gets money. It gets very, you know, it, it, it's, it's disruptive. Yep. Yep. You know, I mean, you can, you can look at how, you know, agile got applied, you know, there, there is, you know, a whole school that showed, you know, waterfall. Why was waterfall planning the, the dominant planning? Very efficient. Very like, efficient. Plan and it's funny you, you said it makes you feel like that. There's nothing that made me feel better than having like a good waterfall plan. <laughs> like it made me, it made me happy. It brought order. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, what, you know, what's one of the, what's one of the main measurements of, of efficiency? It's utilization. It's asset utilization. Yeah. Right. So, you know, are people doing things? How many hours mm -hmm. are they working? Um, yep. You know, th think about service, you know, the services business. I mean, I, the number of times I grew up when I was thinking about, going into services and running a services company, billable hours, 70% billable three. You, 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 you've got to be three X hourly rate with 70% billable. <laughs> that, that was the formula. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, right. And you know, that became no different than 6% click rate. Um, so, so, you know, what, what happened? People go, Oh wait, a waterfall, bad agile. Good. We start applying it. So agile becomes the thing all of a sudden everybody is doing agile. Yep. Right? What were the underlying measurements for agile? Speed. Yeah. Right. Speed. What? Uh, so I, I was, you know, getting ready for this, this this episode. Just I was doing some, believe it or not, I was doing some research. Came across this really interesting blog post, um, by Charles Lambden. Uh, I, I shared one of the quotes with you. I'm going to share two. This is a tweet of his on mm -hmm. February 11th, 2020. Wow. If he only knew what he was, what was about to happen. <laughs> um. As most orgs treated agile is a skeuomorphism. It's a it's like fake stitching on fake leather or the fake wood on some station wagon <laughs> wagons. Agile then is a fake empowerment in the name of fake agility, adopted to apply efficiency thumb screws to dev teams and, and marketing teams, etc. Here is another one. Executives seem hell bent on insisting executives seem hell bent on insisting agile was about speed and efficiency and not agility. Right. And, and by the way, what's agility? Agility is adaptability and resilience. 
Yeah. So, so the yeah. thing that was interesting was waterfalls are very efficient. It's a very efficient planning system. Oh yeah. It's never sure. on time and never at the right budget, but it's, but, but if you look at the utilization of things, et cetera, what, what manufacturing learned in the 1980s was the more efficient they became, the more money they lost. Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. Because it, because it didn't account for the right bottlenecks and constraints. Right. And, and, and so you want to, you want to hear another word for efficiency that, that's really hot in our space. What? Are you ready for this? I don't know. Friction. Oh, friction is a friction. word for efficiency. Yeah. What? Is, I mean, what is frictionless? It's efficient. You mean a frictionless is <laughs> friction. Friction is a word that's used mm -hmm. in, in, in the continuum of efficiency. So eliminating okay. friction, reducing friction yeah. is being right. more efficient. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. How, and, and, and so how does this get applied? It gets applied on, oh, well, we have a problem with our technology. Mm. And so um, it's really, really important that we keep it simple. We've got to keep it simple. We want to keep it. We keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Right. And, and so yeah. the implementation is simple. And then what do you have? You have little bits of friction all of the time. Yeah. But, but by the way, take a look at sales efficiency. Sales efficiency is up. Mm -hmm. Right. This is another term that I coined just the other day on, on a response to something else. You start looking at these efficiency metrics as things start happening. And what you find is it's accurate, but it's not true. So that is accurate, but it's not telling the true story. Right. And, and, and so what's happening in, in, in business, like look, look at what's happened, you know, in this front end unicorn space and, and, and even in, you know, in, in, by the way, if we do hit a recession, the one upside, then I'm, I go to bed at night and I say, please, if one, if one good thing can come of this, can we please drop the term hyper growth? Like hyper growth is, well, A, like it's a thing, but, but more so like that's a thing that we should pursue because you know what we've seen with this hyper growth, we've seen these companies that have become increasingly quote unquote efficient. Well, how have they become efficient? Well, they become efficient by buying the market, right? Yeah. How are they buying the market? Artificially low prices, right? And, yep. and by the way, take a look at Uber. Boy, we are not going to get a whole bunch into red work and blue work today, but take a look at Uber. What is Uber's underlying real strategy? Their real strategy is to use outside capital. Oh, it, I see. They came yeah. in because capital was free and cheap. Yep. To control the market yep put taxi cabs lift other options out of business so then they can put the screws on their drivers and their customers yeah right yeah raise the cost up you no longer have any choice yeah right? but but take a look at you know but if you look at the underlying model of uber going into it like it it, it cannot make money unless and until it gets to a point of scale where, where it can then extract a tremendous amount of value. What, what happens? Suddenly drivers begin to push back, right? Take a look at Amazon, right? Amazon's underlying element of distribution is just, it, 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 it's extracting value. It's a mass focus on efficiency. So if you take a look at Amazon's supply chain, and I, you know, and I think you know, Amazon does a, a, a number of amazing things. But I'm going to tell you, watch out carefully because you tremendously efficient. I don't 
I don't buy that it's resilient. And, and, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why I don't buy that it's resilient because, yeah. because why do they contract it all out? Cheaper. Well, because that way when there are accidents and there are labor issues oh. and things like that, well, no, it's not Amazon. Yeah. Amazon's using that as a shield and you see it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so now look, does that mean that I don't buy from Amazon? No, that does not mean that I buy from Amazon, you know, more than I should having nothing to do with what I, with, with, with what I just said. But, but, but my point is, and I'll tell you something else, you know, so while Amazon Amazon is actually a great example of, of what we're talking about with red work and blue work, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and what Amazon is doing, you know, Amazon is certainly taking advantage of what they can take advantage of. Right. Yep. But I'll tell you what, Amazon has a lot of blue work that goes on. Yeah. So, so, so the, so remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about admin. Yeah. Oh, so go on. You got a question. No, I was going to say before, before we, we dig in further, because you brought it up a few times, but we haven't actually defined it. You've talked about red work, blue work. We talked about leadership is language, which is the, the book that talks about red work, blue work. Can we, can we define what that means for the listeners real quick? Believe, believe it or not, that's where I was going, Jess. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So if, if we think about the, the kind of the underlying model of business, especially as, as the industrial revolution came you, what, what you're going to find is there's there's two types of work that got done there's there was the thinking work the planning work the designing work right that was the job of management right we're going to design the workflow we're going to um you know adam smith specialization all those things and then you had your frontline employees mm -hmm. their job was to do now yeah Take a look at what Henry Ford did. Henry Ford brought the five, I think it was the $5 a day and, and, and brought the workday, believe this or not, Henry Ford was, was responsible for bringing the workday down to eight hours yep. a day. And how was he able to do that? By the way, $5 a day in, in Henry Ford's day, apparently that was pretty good money you know, for, for unskilled, uneducated labor. How did he do that? Massive efficiency, right? So again, yep. efficiency was the right play in that time. And one of the things that made them efficient was this small group of people did the thinking, this large group of people did the doing, mm -hmm. and the yep. fastest way to get yourself into trouble if you were in the doing work was to think. Yeah. Right. It, it, it was W. Edwards Deming who went into Japan after Japan was basically destroyed in World War II. They were the first country to accept the idea that if a frontline employee sees a problem on the line, they should be able to stop the line. Before then, it was like that yeah. was the like that was that 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 was worse than saying bad things about somebody else's mother. That's how the focus was was efficiency. And 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 by the way, there used to be a time where we could think, plan, plot, lay out the couple. You know, you know what used to be a really hot job for for really smart people was scenario planning. Right. We had scenario planners. Right. Because because there were a number of scenarios that could happen being prepared for that. You, you could plot that out. And so one of the key elements to efficiency is control. One of the things that that McChrystal found was a huge limitation as they were trying to deal with Al Qaeda and other elements in the Middle East was. Everything that the military had done had been built on centralized command and control. Mm -hmm. And so by the time, yep. by the time, like, by the time a decision could be made, it was too late. 
like the decision had to be made while it was happening. So like, you can't even say like, you know, Hey, is it okay if I do this? <laughs> hey, you couldn't even go, Hey, I'm planning on doing this. Let me know if there's a problem. Like you, right. like that was too slow. Right. So, so the, so, so everything about the mod, I mean, and it, it's still what, it's still what's taught in business school. It's still what's taught mm -hmm. in, in business classes is this idea of management is it does the thinking and the planning yep. and then, and then execute. Right. Yep. So, so blue work is the thinking and planning, right? Blue okay. work is where those decisions get made. Red work is the actual doing. Mm -hmm. Everything that gets done has a combination of blue work and red work. And again, if you go to, you know, peak efficiency, blue work, blue workers were separated by red workers. By the way, I don't mean that metaphorically. The senior executives had their own dining rooms. Yeah. They had yeah. their own elevators. We, I know. we were just separating job function. It was like, no, we don't want, you know, the, the cats and dogs, you know, who, who knows, right? And, yep. and, and so one of the things that I see happening is that, RevOps is getting a red work mindset and it's, and it's showing itself in two ways. Uh, RevOps as red work. And they just become another set of doers that are further separating themselves from the ebbs and flows that are happening. And that's why so many people complain about CRM implementations. That's why adoption and utilization is so difficult. And that's why if you don't yeah. have really strong business process documented, you end up with this really vague, kind of CRM where you try to, and, and, and by the way, it's so endemic that there's a large set of tech companies that the way they're trying to adapt to, to CRMs not being utilized correctly is to enable data to get in them without anyone doing anything. Now, I'm not against that, but, but it doesn't actually solve the problem, yep. right? Because part of what a CRM should be is, a blue workforce. It should be a blue work element to it. I've always believed in account plans, right? Yep. Why do I like to do account plans? I, by the way, if you really want to know what I think, I'm a fan of 60 to 70% account plans, right? What I find is the last 30 to 40% of an account plan is, is painful and doesn't add a whole lot of value. But the first 60 to 70% of putting an account plan together forces you to think, sort through, come in, really understand what's going on. Yeah. You know, I hate to say this because I sound like I'm, I'm, you know, get, a, you know, a get off my lawn, whatever, you know, get off my lawn, grandpa. I, I, I think salespeople are, I, I can't think of, are less good today. I, I know that uh, boy, there, there's a hot take. No, but, but I, you know, it like, now, now I don't think it's their fault. To, to, to a large degree. And, and, and the thing that's interesting is I, I, I don't think that they're, I, I actually think that that salespeople today are far smarter than, than most of the salespeople, certainly that I yeah. know. I agree with that. They, they, yeah. they have access to far more information. They have access to far more insight. They have access to so much more, but, but they show up and I'm, I'm not saying all of them do, but far, far, far too many of them show up dumber. Well, yeah. well, why is that? Well, when the machine does all of the work for you, you, you don't really understand it. Like when I had to do research on a company, like actual research to understand, because it didn't exist anywhere. Yeah. Like, like that meant sometimes I'd have to go, Jess, are you ready for this? To the library. 
What's that? I, I would, <laughs> I, I actually used microfiche. I don't know. I, that, I don't know what that is. <laughs> These little laminates of, of newspapers. Oh, okay. You can gotcha. look at old newspapers. Yes. Or magazines, I, I, et cetera. I, right? I now know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. I didn't know that's what they were called. On a, on a you know, and you had to write down, like you couldn't highlight it because it you had to put it back in the library. Thing. And so you had to like write notes in. By the way, yeah. there is a there is a physical connection between writing and the brain that doesn't happen when you type. Yeah. Right. So 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 there's an understanding that happens. And so what's happening is, you know, what's super, super efficient when the machine does all of the work for you, you become really, really efficient. But do you understand what's going on? Were you a part of it? And all of a sudden, you know, what are we doing? I've said this for for several years now. We're 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 turning our our, you know, we're bot-tizing our sales reps. We're turning them into a bunch of bots, a bunch of sales bots. Yeah. Right. And then we're, and then we're saying salespeople are becoming less and less relevant. Yeah, no shit. Because that's what we're having them do because we're so focused on efficiency. They don't do blue work anymore. Well, and I'll even, and I've got, I've, and I want to go back to CRM implementation because I've got, I've got a thought there, but on the, on this point of the want to automate and, and botifies everything the the other problem it ends up doing is it ends up causing far more issues than it ends up helping you because everybody wants to jump to automation and one thing that we talk about when we do implementations i'm constantly reminding people of if you can't do it manually you can't automate it like you got to figure out where the heuristics are you got to figure out where is the human element that you need where you wouldn't want to automate it in that process so, so if you can't do it manually you can't automate it i totally agree with you mm -hmm. but but I'm going to add a little bit of a caveat to this. Just because you can do it manually doesn't mean you can automate it. That, exactly. And, yes. and, and, and here's the thing. What, I, what I'm going to say, if you don't understand it, you can't automate it. Yep. Because what happens far too often is you, you know, you, you've done something five times, 50 times, 100 times, maybe. And you go, okay, well, this we can automate this. Well, you know, it's the 115th time that something crazy happens. And because you didn't understand it, everything goes haywire. Yep. Like, and, and by the way, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I see this in our team and we work really hard to avoid this. But how many times do we have something and you know, like someone goes, um, hey, this is happening. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So what did, what did you do about it? Oh, uh, well, it, it's, it's not working. Like it's supposed to. Well, right. Well, so so fix it, huh? I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, and, yeah. and, and you know, it's hard. It's it's you know, it, it. I'm not saying that that's easy, but that's where, you know, we've gotten so red work focused. By the way, here, you know, here's an element of blue work. An element of blue work is thinking and deciding. Yep. What are yep. we trying to turn a whole bunch of RevOps people into? And the whole diatribe and rant I had on admins. We want the admin to be the decider. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. That means you you just turned these people into red work. They're they're, they're yeah. red workers now. Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, we're we're turning salespeople. And by the way, salespeople used to be the blue worker. Like it was all about thinking yep. and 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 being on. You know. And now we're turning them into. You know, I mean, I, I I've always said it. You know, we've looked at easily 200, 300 playbooks, and ninety eight yeah. percent of them all miss the same thing. And, I, and by the way, I'm seeing people like literally call out playbooks as being not sufficient to today. The world is too complicated for playbooks yeah. to be sufficient. And I'm like, well, first off, first off, it's not that it's too complicated, mm -hmm. right? What, what they mean to say is the world is too complex. 
Yeah. And everyone listening right now is probably going, okay, there's Doug again being crazy on semantics. But guess what? If, if you're trying to solve something, if, 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 if what you do to solve complicated versus complex. Now, here's what I always want to say. What is more complex than the final three minutes of the Chiefs-Bills playoff game last year? I don't know because I'm not familiar with the game. Well, that's, like that, that's where in like the last two minutes, the lead changed like three or four times. It was oh, like, okay. Okay. That's right. okay. Yeah. What, what yeah. is more complex where, where a series of unexpected things happen and you're never in the exact yeah. same situation twice than, than a football game, right? So right. you know what's missing in 98 to 99% of playbooks? Plays. Yeah. Most playbooks are a single play. You have this conversation and you go, it's like, whoa, no, no. Right. No. You know, I, I you remember I used to joke around when people said, well, can you, can you create scripts for my salespeople? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Do I get to script what the, what the prospect says? Right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And, and, and so what, what we need to do it and guess what? We're going to have a future episode where we'll dig deeper into difference between blue work and red work. We, what we need to do, so you know what RevOps's job is, I think, more than anything else? What? And, and, and we did say this in, in the admin. Um, they're, they, are, they, they need to be the masters of context. Yes, we did talk their, about that. Yes. Their, job, their job is to ensure the proper context exists. Yep. So that decisions are distributed. We're distributing our workforces but we're still not distributing our decisions. And by the way, distributed decision is not efficient, right? It requires lots of conversation. It is the inverse friction principle, right? Yep. The, the, the reason that I'm able to switch on a dime in, in business scenarios, and um, it's funny, one of, one of our um, favorite referral sources who, who brings us in, you know, finally, finally laughed when we were debriefing. He's like, Doug, is there anything... Is there anybody you don't have something in common with from their business standpoint? Because, you know, I did this and I work, you know, and, and I'm like, well, not many because A, you know, I, 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 I've done a lot of things that, that, that I've yeah. connected a, a lot of those dots. But what I, what I learned how to, like, I learned how to learn. I, I, I learned how to think it's not just one aspect. I'm extraordinarily adaptable. I'm extraordinarily resilient. Oh, I remember what I was going to tell you. So I was on the debate team in college. I went to Shepherd College, now Shepherd University. Um, my claim to fame was my high school had more students my senior year than my college had its <laughs> freshman year. Um, and by the way, my college never got while I was there to be above what my high school had my senior year. That high school did reduce the number of students. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm going down that path. But It's Friday. Um, now, I mean, we had a very, very small um, debate team. And, yeah. and we we went for the most part, we went to debates that had other schools that were fairly equivalent to this. But um, I had the opportunity to go to like a regional or national debate tournament. Um, and this is shocking. This is shocking that you were at a, in a debate tournament. <laughs> by the way, I'm going to tell you that, that actual debate, like everybody should participate in debate because that's how you learn. Like you have to be able to articulate both sides of an argument. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. You and I have talked but, about this. Yeah. But I went up against Harvard and Naval Academy. <laughs> How'd that go? I beat them. I beat them both. Of course you did. <laughs> well, do you know why I beat them both? 
So well, here's no, the thing about, no, I don't the thing about Harvard and Naval Academy, right? These top, top, top. Um, now again, this is way pre-internet. Okay? Right. So, so I had one of those file boxes. You know, what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. So, at both Harvard and and the Naval Academy, if you're on the debate team, you don't actually get to debate in tournaments until you're a junior or senior. Oh, okay. As a freshman or sophomore, you do research. You put all the information together for the people who are going to debate. Gotcha. Now, the the debate tournament I was in, it was two on two. There are some that have you know are just single people, but this was two on two, and you know we we go in my debate partner and me you know we have our our box of you know stuff that we've you know that we've copied cuz you know you 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 have to source everything that you're saying you can't just make an argument you have to make the argument and and you know provide a source for why is that a credible argument why is that a fact right well er, like like 80% of the people that were watching remember those luggage carriers the metal things that would open up right yeah. before you had wheels on bags well, every debater and, and so at Naval Academy and, and, and Harvard, they had two of those with the two drawer file cabinets on them. And basically like, like not, not welded, but almost like the equivalent of that, the way everything was set up, like these things never leave their luggage carriers. Right. So they literally had two full, um, so four full file drawers stuffed with research with notebooks they were all cross indexed for, you know, to be able sure. to look and find anything, et cetera. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, super well rehearsed um, cases, et cetera. Well, I went up with, I, I always tried to find a twist. So I end up, I went up with a twist. Mm-hmm. I, I, I started to make arguments that were not typical. And what I found was two things happened. It, when, when I was on, you know, the, the opposing side, the, the, the not for side, I had a lot less information, but I knew everything that I had. Cause I'm the one who did the research. Right. I knew that's right? where you were going. I with knew it. my stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but I also knew how to apply it. Right. They knew how to access it. Right. They did not, they, they could not make the adjustment. Right. As a matter of fact, one of the arguments, and, and by the way, I had one argument that was totally built on the idea that at first, it, it would look like it violated the topic. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a phrase called the, you know, the so-and-so, you know, the case is moot. It doesn't apply. It's outside of sure. the criteria. Right. Sure. Now, when you make that argument, it's kind of like protesting a game, right? You protest the game, but you don't stop playing because you may not win that protest. So I've, so I go up and like the first way I know I've won is if someone makes the argument that my case is moot because I'm totally prepared for that, right? And then they, I can't remember whether it was Naval Academy. I can't remember which team it was, but literally they got up and they said, the, you know, the proponent's case is moot. Right. And sat down, right. They had nothing like they, they <laughs> and, and, and my point on this is they were extremely efficient. Yeah. They were far more intelligent. They had, I mean, and let me tell you, they were smarter than me. Unquestionably, they were smarter than me. They had far more resources. They were far more efficient. But the moment something changed, they had no adaptability. They had no resilience. Right. Yeah. They didn't do the blue work. Yeah. Right. Our second principle of radical execution. Radical execution. Last week, we did the, the fifth principle, if I remember correctly. Our second principle 
is agency is critical. Yeah. Right? Agency. What is it? What's the actual principle? What, what is it? Agency um, is a requirement. Agency is a requirement, right? And what does that mean? That means I have to have control. Like if the front line isn't making decisions, if you're making the decisions for them, then you're, you're separating, you know, you're, 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 you've got a red work mindset. Yeah. And, and so what we're seeing from a revenue operation standpoint is, you know, they're beginning to address those, those surface symptoms, which, which manifest themselves as a lack of efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Their, their processes are becoming more robust. Yep. But I'm going to make the argument and I'm going to challenge anyone listening to ask yourself, you're more robust, but are you more adaptable and are you more resilient? And I think that's an excellent place to stop. <laughs> and it actually hits on my key takeaway, which is the focus should be on adaptability and resilience. So we didn't we didn't dig into blue work and red work quite like we planned. So we'll have to do that in a future podcast. You did. This is what happened. This is Doug's fault. He. This is what happens when you over prepare. Um, but I thought this was good. I thought this was really interesting. Like I said, my big takeaway is, is focus on adaptability and resilience. I, I love that quote about agile, not being about agility. <laughs> All righty. Thanks everybody. Right. Well, thank you until next time. Yep. And that's a wrap on this episode of the RevOps show. When it comes to efficiency, the two big questions that we need to ask ourselves are, are you more adaptable? And are you more resilient? If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share the episode. Start up a conversation. Let's see how excited you all are for a deeper episode into Red Work and Blue Work. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Doug or Jess about efficiency, Red Work, Blue Work, or anything else RevOps related, email me at hannah at imaginellc.com or hit us up on Twitter at DemandCreator. Until next time, remember, can't solve your upstream problems downstream.